Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Net Health. So if you're a PT, what do you want to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenues are tops on the list. So now you don't have to do it on your own. There's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc powered by XFIT is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. To learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. Okay, so today's episode. This was a recording from a Facebook Live that I did a couple of weeks ago with the wonderful Julie Weeb. I adore her. She is amazing. If you live in LA, seek her out. Take one of her classes. She teaches in person. She's got a lot of online uh, continuing education classes as well. Um, I just can't say enough about her. She is so wonderful. So she officially, her official bio, she has over 20 years of clinical experience in both sports medicine and women's health, following her passion to revolutionize the way women recover from pregnancy and return to high levels of fitness. She has pioneered an integrative approach to promote women's health in and through fitness. Her diaphragm, pelvic floor, piston science concepts have been successfully incorporated by rehab practitioners and fitness professionals into a variety of populations. She does have a cash-based clinical practice in LA and shares her approach to bridge the gap between rehab and fitness with pros and women worldwide through online courses and mentoring. So you can find all of her information at julieweebpt.com. And she was just, you know, she's one of those people who like is totally okay with sharing knowledge, with giving, and with making sure that people have the right information at the right time. So in this episode, we talk about the anatomy of the pelvic floor and why it's so vital, how to broach the topic of pelvic floor health with your patients, her go-to biomechanical screening test for performance in pelvic health, this part's awesome, and enhancing breathing patterns for pain management, sports performance, and a lot more. So I'm not going to do a whole lot of editing here because we did this live. It was super cool. So I'm not going to really edit anything out. Um, so enjoy this episode with the wonderful Julie Weeb. So welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you for having me. This is yeah. exciting. It's a good way to start the year. So. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty excited. And this is a little new. So as we go through and, and we're talking, if anyone that's listening has any questions or any thoughts, feel free to type them in because we can see them. Um, or at least I know I can see them. So feel free. Um, also, if you're on, let us know where are you from? Where are you listening from? Um, because today we're going to be talking about the, pel the importance of the pelvic floor and how that can affect sports performance. And when we're talking sports performance, we're not just talking about professional athletes. Right. Right? We're right. talking about women on every single level. So whether that's getting back to running after pregnancy or CrossFit or, or maybe you are a professional or semi-pro, a weekend warrior. We're talking across the board, right? Yeah. Everybody, whatever your fitness of choices, that's your athletic pursuit to me. So whatever that is, is recreational to professional. Right. Uh, well, uh, that's what we're hoping to touch on. So yeah. Excuse Perfect. Me. <clears throat> Perfect. I'm the same way. I have like the worst cough. I've been coughing. <laughs> it's the worst. Um, so before we even get started with that, just in case there are people listening who maybe aren't professionals, they're not PTs. Um, I, oh, Meg Swindle. Oh, hi, Meg. She's so cute. <laughs> I am seeing the comments come across. Just you are seeing them good. Yeah, on my cool. screen. Sorry. Cool, cool. So um, let's before we even get into all of the nitty gritty. Can you define what the pelvic floor is? Yeah. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles, and they live inside the pelvis. So generally speaking, they are um, they are uh, there's four, but 
that comprise it's a group of muscles. We'll just simplify it that way. And they work together um, to, and they're most well known for their help with um, pee, poo, and sex functions and keeping your organs inside your body. Um, but uh, we also now understand that it's a component of the core, like the core, which I'll put in parentheses. Um, and it's one of the muscles that works together in a team of muscles to help us with that, creating that sturdy center. Um, that we all are striving for, but we haven't always included the pelvic floor in our definition or in our programming. Um, we also haven't always included the diaphragm. So that's a that's a big piece of what I try to teach out there, but the pelvic floor does a lot more than just help you with pee, poo, and sex, although those are its priorities. So, Okay, so let's talk about what else do they do? The, well, the video, now that we know what it is, why why do we care? Why do we care? We care because we would like to keep pee and poo um, happening when we would like it to. Okay, that's number one. Um, the other thing is it is a component of happy, pleasurable, pain-free sex. Um, and uh, But then it does have this role that we've really, um, like it's, it's, we've actually understood it for years, but it's only recently that it's starting to come into a little bit more of um, an understanding of how the pelvic floor does have a role in our ability to set up our strength and stability at the center. I know stability is a word that's falling out, but we do understand developmentally that you cannot create, you have to get that central postural control first developmentally before you can build on it with your motor skills. So what we're referring to there is the ability to reconnect with that postural control that allows us to have a sturdy center to move off of. And the pelvic floor is a huge part of that. And so when we see pelvic health issues like incontinence and sport, what I'm hoping to do is reframe that conversation to say, if you're seeing that, then we have a problem with that whole system. It's not just your pelvic floor that's weak or strong or long or short. It is that whole system that isn't working well and we need to re help you sort that out because that's a signal to us or it should be as practitioners that something's going on with that whole system, not just that the pelvic floor is the problem. Um, so, so that's really where I'm hoping we can turn that conversation. And where, where does that come into play? So, you know, you mentioned about uh, athletes and things like that. So what is the relevance of the pelvic floor when it comes to sports, when it comes to performance? So well, again, and it goes back to why should an athlete care if they can do, so let's put it this way. If I can lift or I can run and maybe I just leak a little bit, but it's no big deal. Why should I care? Right. And, and that's a, it's a great question. I think what, what I hope people would grow in their understanding is let's say, for example, let's take a CrossFitter who leaks um, while they're trying to lift a weight overhead. We understand that pressure. And, and so a lot of athletes that lift will understand this. Like you have to use a lot of pressure inside your abdomen to help you create that lift. And so when we're talking about something like continence and even when we're talking about how we set up that central stability, pressure is a part of that in our day-to-day, -day, not when we're talking about overhead. So part of the interaction between the components of that system, the diaphragm, TA, pelvic floor are my favorites to talk about, um, that they're actually just, they're regulating pressure all the time. Okay, so when we set up stability, we're, we're, it's a counterbalance between muscular force and pressure. So if you are lifting a weight overhead and you leak out the bottom, you're essentially leaking pressure. So pressure that you need to help you stay strong and stable underneath that weight and to, and to deliver an efficient and a, and, a, and a true rep, you're losing it out your hoo-hoo. And so, so, and so, or what the other type of pressure loss that could be something that would be more, people would maybe be a little more alert to is that same pressure could create a herniated disc. That same pressure could create like a GERD sensation where you like regurgitate stuff. That same, depending on where that pressure goes, we need it to be controlled and maintained and managed well to help you do the lift. But if we see a hernia, if we like, there's all of these things that we know we recognize are pressure related issues that we would take that athlete and say, okay, we need to modify something. If that's what's happening when you lift and you're having hernia symptoms, you're having herniated disc symptoms, you're, you know, and now we need to add leaking to this and you're leaking, that means you're not managing the pressure well and we need to change something to help you manage it and do the lift. Like th that's really what we're talking about. And so 
The other thing is, is we haven't, um, because we haven't been integrating the pelvic floor, we're essentially like missing a whole muscle that could help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm literally offering to give you back muscle, to give you new muscles to help you do these lifts. And so, so the relevance is to actually, we can actually improve your muscular capacity to participate in your activities because we're going to add muscles to your team. And that, and so we're, what I generally get from my athletes is words like, I feel more grounded. I feel more centered. I'm, I'm stronger under the bar. I'm faster, like from the runners out there. Um, because, because what we're doing is we're, we're optimizing the use of your entire system under, underneath the bar in your athletic activity, whatever it is in order to optimize those activities. So, so you're losing pressure, you're losing strength and we can manage it. We can harness it instead. And so as the professional, let's say whether you're uh, a physical therapist or a physio or a coach or a trainer, an athletic trainer, a personal trainer, what, what sort of things do, do we have to look out for or, or things to watch in these athletes uh, right. to kind of catch this a little bit earlier so that you don't have people completely peeing the ground right. when they lift. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we don't, like, or, or like you said, we don't want someone to have a hernia right. or a herniated discs, or you know, it's not just leaking, right? right. And that pressure system, in whatever direction that pressure decides to go. Exactly. Yeah. And sorry, I cut out just a little bit there, but I think I got the gist. No. Um, um, I think that there's a couple things, and this is where it gets really cool, because what I'm suggesting and what I'm talking about isn't this, like, really oogie, awful thing that you're going to have to implement into your physio, your coaching, your training. One of the major things to look for is form. If, you were, um, his, if your form is poor, we, that is generally, for me, one of the first things I do to help someone's pelvic health. And so if you understand what good form is supposed to look like for a deadlift, if you know a good form is supposed to look like, or optimized form, more efficient form is supposed to look like for running, generally speaking, that's also going to carry over into better um, pelvic health for that athlete. So that's easy. Like we all really understand that. And so, and, and like how that would apply, say for running, um, we know that um, a lot of postpartum runners run really high chested and way up here. And so just altering their form so they're actually, and so then they're behind their heel strike, right? Like, so, and we know that if you land with your heel way ahead of you, it increases your ground reaction forces to like four to six times your body weight. When you are actually over top of your heel strike, so you're in a more athletic position when you go to hit your heel, it's more like two to four times your body weight. So you automatically reduce the demand on that system and on the pelvic floor to manage every heel strike. So something as simple as that could eliminate someone's um, incontinence while they're running. That's not crazy for a coach or trainer to do. Um, the other thing would be glutes. Like that's another one of my favorites. Like if you have athletes that you're working with that have no bum, they're like, and that's a lot of CrossFitters. Like, really, there is a big problem with flat bums in CrossFit. Really? I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that would be the case. Yeah, it is. It's remarkable. And you know who they are at the grocery store, right? Like, they're in their, like, shorty, booty, short thingies. And you can take a look. Like, they're, they have a lot of flat, especially the upper glute is very flat. And um, sorry for the sirens, but go ahead. Oh, that, well, I don't know. I'm in L.A. We might get something here in a minute, too. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so when you see a flat bum, then that usually indicates their form is off. Because if it's a CrossFitter, they do a million squats. They should have amazing glutes, right? That's why you're like, shouldn't they have great glutes? Yeah. But that means likely their form is off in a way that's not access accessing their glutes well. Like, that's what form does. It creates availability of the musculature. The glutes aren't ha activated. I, the pelvic floor is not in the mix as well either because the glutes and the pelvic floor usually are activated by very similar activities. So that's another indication. Like if you have an athlete who has poor form and they have no glutes, you are that's someone that you might have like a little red flag on. And you can have a conversation with your athletes. Like I know it seems like a crazy leap, but if you can just start asking like if we could just make it a really normal part of how we interact with clients, especially females, especially females who've had babies. 
like it will give us a huge understanding of what may or may not be happening with that whole stability system. And, um, and, and we need to just get super comfy doing that. So in my opinion. So even if you have, let's see, one of these athletes coming in and they're complaining of maybe low back pain and yes. you don't ask about, are you leaking? You don't ask about, I mean, you're not going to be like, so how's your pelvic floor feeling? Right. Well, I do. <laughs> I don't know. Do most people kind of know how their pelvic floor is feeling? No. Well, I, you know, it's hard. I have a very, um, I'm, I vet my patients. Not, I don't vet them. What's a better word for that? Like I give them tons of front loaded information ahead of time. They know why they're coming to see me. And generally speaking, those people that come to see me have a pelvic health problem and a musculoskeletal problem and a performance problem. And we're treating all three of those at the same time. If you're a practitioner who's like in a general orthopedic clinic, I mean, I remember the first time I first started to try to have these conversations with, with a woman in her 80s who was seeing me for her shoulder. And I said, ma'am, would you mind telling me, did you have vaginal deliveries or cesarean deliveries? And she looked at me and she was like, it's my shoulder. And I was like, I know, I know, but like work with me here. Like I, and so I just didn't have my good, like I hadn't figured out how to broach the subject well yet. But if it's low back pain, we actually have two major studies by, um, oh, Michelle Smith in Australia, where it was like the ends were like 35,000 people. I mean, these were huge. And they found that incontinence and breathing problems were better indicators for low back pain than um, BMI and physical activity level. So this is not crazy talk. Like this is a major piece of your patient's physical history that we are literally not asking on our intakes. Like it should be in your intake and you may not get truthful answers because they're gonna, they aren't expecting it related to their low back. But if you don't understand how it may be related to their low back, then they will never understand how it's related to their low back. Pelvic floor hooks onto the sacrum. Sacrum's part of the spine. Diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together. Diaphragm hooks onto the lumbar spine. Like it's not bananas that these things might be interacting with why they're experiencing low back pain. And add to it, constipation can cause low back pain. Like constipation's in the pelvic health realm too, but guess what? It's in the low back health world too. It should be. So there's a lot of overlap that we just miss because we're afraid to talk about it with our patients. And um, and we really need to start getting comfy. Yeah, so we need to start getting a little more comfy because you know the thing that I often hear, and I hear this from from some patients, from friends, from people that I've interviewed, other people I've interviewed on the podcast. It's always this conversation of, can I ask you a question? And yeah. now you know something. That's like when, you know, your significant other is like, we need to talk. <laughs> no, it's not like something is going down, you know? Right. Can I well, ask you a question? Sure. That's yeah. always, is it normal? And usually I'll be like, I'm going to stop you there and say, you know, I'm going to, my answer is probably going to be no, but right. the answer is, is it normal that when I jump on the trampoline with my kids, I leak or that, when I have to lift something, I leak because all of my other friends have it. So isn't it just normal? Right. And, and yeah, and that's it's so, common. it's so common. So it must be normal. Exactly. And that's one of the major things that I think we're fighting is I think for a long time, there's been silence around it, especially like mom to daughter, grandma to mom to daughter, because it's just so normal. Like it's just what happens that there's no reason to talk about it because there's no solutions. Like there's no understanding of that. But I think that and because it's so common, it has been normalized, and that's too bad. Um, because we do have solutions, and we have better solutions now for athletes than we've had in the past. Um, I think that's what's really important to share too. But um, but yeah, and, and it's and it's really just about education. We have a ton of education to do from the top down. We need to educate physicians. We need to because they need to be offering people solutions. We we need to let them not say, oh well, you'll just need surgery later. Like. We need to let them know that there's so much we can do to prevent surgery or to put it off or to or to, you know, prehab people for surgery. Like there's so many things that we can do, but but doctors don't know. And so nurse practitioners don't know. Midwives don't know. Like we have so much educating to do and the public doesn't know to ask for more either. And so that's a big a big thing. And, and, you know, we're, but it is becoming more common to talk about it. And so that gives us our opportunities to start conversations. And it's funny because what I usually get when I start telling people I'm a PT and then they're like, Oh, what, what's, what kind of people do you treat? And then I start telling them about it. Like, and I mentioned pelvic health and incontinence. And if it's a woman, 
I just watch their eyes. Like you can tell that they're like, wait, oh wait, what? Somebody treats something like, like and so I don't always get like, oh really? Well, and some people go dive right in and they're happy to talk to me about it, but some people you just know it's there. They're they get this book where you know you have what they need, and and they just need to like take that leap to start to talk to you more about it. So you've opened the door. That's all you can do. You can open the door. Hey. If you don't want to talk to me about it and you're experiencing any of these issues, because guess what, gang, that are rehab folks out there, people are having leaking problems during their programs at your clinics. Like if you have them jumping around and doing all this work and they already leak with exertion, guess what? They're leaking during your rehab program. They're leaking the pressure that helps them stabilize their low back. They're leaking pressure that helps them regain neuromuscular control of their, of their pelvic hip complex so that they don't get an ACL um, injury again. Like all of this neuromuscular stuff you're doing, if they're leaking through it, or we haven't even talked about diastasis related to core stability. Like, I mean, there's so many pieces of this puzzle that if you're completely ignoring and not being willing to communicate about it, um, yeah, we, there's just a lot that we can do for that. So anyway, sorry, I got off the track there a little bit, but. Um, but I think I think what's so important and, you know, we kind of were emailing back and forth and it's instead of saying it's common and it's normal or you say some, oh, just go see a pelvic health PT. And like I right. said, some people live in rural areas. Maybe they don't have a pelvic health PT yeah. or just stop working out or just stop doing this. Just don't do it anymore. Just and I don't think that that's the message that uh, as physical therapists or as physios that we want to be giving out. I think the message should be is okay, well, there's a way we can address this. And then you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z with your kids, with your, as an athlete. And not only can you do it, but probably do it better. Yeah. 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 That's the message. And I think what's really important and, and listen, I have all the respect to the world for the pelvic health people that have like, cause I'm not a traditionally, um, uh, traditionally trained pelvic health therapist. Like that's the other thing that people really need to understand. I am an orthopedic sports medicine PT. Like that's how I self-identify. Um, and I and I got into pelvic health. I call I think of it as backwards. Like I learned about it and it started applying sports medicine concepts to the pelvic floor versus the other way around. And um, and so and so the reason I say that is for anyone out there that's listening that's like I don't want to become a like I like I'm really happy to refer because I don't want to talk about that stuff like you know what I mean but if you are the only game in town in your rural community you got to know this stuff and I'm not talking about doing internal that's not what I'm referring to I am referring to external approaches that use strategies to integrate the pelvic floor and the diaphragm in a balanced way in order to optimize their performance optimize their health all that kind of stuff and I'll be honest the pelvic health community is small. Like it's one of the smaller parts of our um, profession. There's 3,500 people currently registered. That's a, that's a figure I got over the last year, so it may be better now. Mm -hmm. um, 3,500 PTs registered in the section and we're getting 4 million new babies this year. Like there's the, the numbers don't add up. We yeah. absolutely need ortho, sports, neuro, like peds, everybody, to have some understanding of how to apply these ideas into their populations and triage it for the 3,500 that need to take it into like beyond what I'm suggesting. Like there are people that this is not, they need a lot more than what I'm suggesting. And and I think that, that we really need to change that focus in terms of our educating of our own people, of PTs and physios, um, and coaches and trainers. Like we need people to keep an eye out for it. We need to triage it. And then we can send it on if we need to, but we need to have these skills inside our ortho and sports medicine pop, uh, PT population and neuro and peds. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. So here's a, a, a nice question from Ahmed. Um, he asks, how can you differentiate between pelvic floor problem and musculoskeletal problem? But I think we covered that because I think it is a musculoskeletal problem because your pelvic floor is a, is a group of muscles. But can you kind of maybe give a quick breakdown of how PTs who are maybe we're not, like you just said, it's sort of a good transition, who are not pelvic floor PTs uh, per se, how can we examine this region in a way that makes sense? Right, so, and that's a great question and actually maybe that's kind of what Ahmed is getting at. I hope we're, we've sort of hit on this for him. 
is so one of the like I'll use my examination for as an example. I do palpate the pelvic floor. I just do it externally. If you're not comfortable with that and you ask permission and your patient and you're a male PT and your patient is a female and she's like, no, thank you. That's not why I came here. It's my shoulder. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, you can palpate the TA. The TA and the pelvic floor are interconnected. It is not. I'm not saying that that is a quantitative way to do it. I'm not saying that's the ideal. I'm saying in a triage rural area, you're the only game in town. That might be the best that we can do. And, um, and there's other clues that it might give you when you say to them, can you lift your pelvic floor and you don't feel any reaction in the TA, but I am actually, I directly palpate, I call it east of the anus. And so I have my fingers just next to the anus. Oh no, my computer, I need my battery. Ah, I'm going to have to go in just a second. I'm so sorry. I didn't do that. Um, but I just palpate just east of the anus. And, um, and then I ask them to lift and lower. I also see how it reacts to inhale and exhale and I get it an involuntary response, and then I also get a voluntary um, response. And I think that, um, and what that tells me is how it's doing in relationship to its primary teammates. And then I look at single leg squat. Hang on one second, I'm afraid I'm gonna die. So just yeah, no I really apologize everybody. No problem, no problem. It's live, we get it. And while Julie takes a little break, we're gonna hear a quick 30 second message from our sponsors, NetHealth. PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by XFIT, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. We had, we left off, you were palpating just east of the anus to ask them to lift their pelvic floor, ask them to breathe, and then we were at one-legged squat. Right. So, and the reason I use single-leg squat, it tells me a lot about, well, I look at squats, and if they have a butt wink, if they have a butt wing that is somewhere like halfway down to two thirds of the way down, somewhere in that department, that is likely a neuromuscular strategy that's not a hip complex arthrokinematic issue. So then that means that their strategy for stability, when they go into a squat, say under a bar or just to pick up a pacifier on the floor, is poor. They're not using their glutes well. And so again, if you don't see glute, you're likely not seeing pelvic floor very well. Explain quickly what a butt wink is, just in case. Oh, there's sorry. So when you go into the squat, let's see if I can demo one. I'm not actually very good at it. I'm not good at it either. Because because I don't, I try not to have one. So can you see me against the blue couch? Yeah. Okay. So when you go down, it looks like instead of your butt staying out the whole way, it's that your butt kind of tucks yeah. down. Yeah. And so when that butt wink happens, we are seeing. Um, what we're losing the glutes to support and be a part of the program. And so that means the pelvic floor is also sort of losing its whatever, chutzpah, and its availability to contribute. So single leg squat is my favorite to look at because it tells me so much about their strategy. That's the other thing, guys. I'm talking about strategies. Like how do they use their bodies to accomplish their athletic activity, whatever it is. So when I have a CrossFitter, they always go into a pistol because that's a CrossFit squat. And that means that they stick their legs straight out in front of them. Mm -hmm. And if they're a runner, but when you do that, there's no way you can do a pistol without totally tucking your butt on the way down. Like it's impossible. Yeah. Which, so we just talk about that in terms of like, we try to train in strategies to help them with the pistol, but I might have to pull them out of the pistol and retrain that for them. Uh, not with the goal of never doing pistols again, but trying to help them connect with their glutes to help them do that. Like people's pistols look like caca around here. Like it's real, they're real, but they do them all the time, horribly. They, and again, it's back to form. And so if you're a runner though, and you show me a single leg squat like this. So if you show me a single leg squat, I really can't see myself. So, but, and you go like this with your leg in front, sorry, mm -hmm. this leg in front. What that tells me is that's how you run. So mm -hmm. if you're running with your leg in front, you're gonna be someone that has that heavy heel strike to the front, and you're likely gonna drag yourself forward versus, and that means you're not using your glutes well, you're gonna use a lot of hammy. How many of you have tight 
like runners with tight, tight hamstrings that you cannot fix. Well, if they keep running like this, they're, they're going to stay tight because they're overusing them. But if instead they put their foot behind them, then I know that they're in a position to more propel themselves and use their glutes. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I don't say anything. They're like, what do you, how do you want me to do a single leg squat? And I say, just show me what you would do. Mm -hmm. And then it tells me what their brain chooses. So there's no prompting. You're not saying, oh, I want you to keep your leg behind, keep your leg at your side, keep it for, yeah, that's smart. I'm just trying to build, I'm trying to figure out what their strategy is. And so single leg squat tells me a ton about running. And so I, I know automatically how, what to kind of, it's not a perfect test, but it does give me a lot of information. And I generally see a butt wink. If their foot is in front of them, they're going to have a tucked bum. And so, because it's hard to control that without like changing up that Jenga of, of body parts and the butt typically tucks under. Guess mm -hmm. what? That means when you're running, you're not using your glutes. And again, pelvic floor and glutes are simpatico, they work together. So those are some of the ways that I sort of tease out. And then that person might be seeing me for incontinence and hip pain while they're running. I, I just got a ton of information about what is happening for them. And then, you know, you can have them hop. That also then tells you how they handle impact. And if their knee is crashing to the center, and generally speaking, I see that knee dropping in on single leg squats on the side where I, do, I see more pelvic floor, um, qualitatively a murkier presentation like they aren't as robust on that right side say mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so i link it all back up to what's going on with their pelvic health so yeah so it, to me it's not like so crazy like those are things we should be doing with our runners anyway right so and and that also we have to also say that when these people come in like you said you kind of know why they're seeing you and you've already done a very good subjective yeah. Interview. So at this point, you are maybe confirming or maybe not confirming a hypothesis that you have created because of what they've told you in the subjective. And yes. that kind of so it's it's all of this together. So you have Absolutely. to really listen first and then go in with your evaluation. Absolutely. And so I take a I, I have my intakes are on my website. You're welcome to take a look at them. Um, and I get lots of information from that. And then I start already looking for threads. Like, and that's what I teach. I teach a clinical reasoning class and I teach my, I teach like, what is the thread? So they're constipated. So this is one of my intakes. They're constipated. They have urge incontinence. They, um, and they have hip pain. Like to me, all of those start to speak to an over-recruited pelvic floor. Oh, and painful sex. Like if you are, you see that little, little tracing through their um, through all their information, and then when you're talking to them, and and then you watch them move, and you watch how they breathe, because there's a breathing pattern I typically see with tight. I don't like to say tight, over recruited pelvic floors. You know, it starts to all kind of come together. But and I don't want to look at everybody like they're a nail and I'm a hammer. But it's really like you start to see these patterns. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do is pattern recognition. And there are patterns inside pelvic health as well that can give us some indication of what we might see in their musculoskeletal presentation and in their sports performance presentations. So oh. it's, just, it's what we've always understood everywhere else. We just got to start applying those ideas into the pelvic floor and pelvic health. Right. So, that yeah. makes sense. And what about breathing patterns? So you just mentioned you're looking at how people are breathing. Yes. So what are some cues for you that you're thinking, mm, boy, I think I need to look at this further or, Perhaps the diaphragm or their breathing pattern is is something that's contributing to their I don't want to say instability, but lack of We're not gonna be able to say anything soon, Karen. I know. Their <laughs> lack of lack of that stable base in order to help with their performance. Well, just so you know, I pretty much treat breathing with everybody. Um and and especially because my um my patient population is postpartum women generally. Um and uh is uh, that a lot of them have diaphragms kind of get whack wacky during pregnancy because the, basically the baby's in the way. Is so they're way up here? Yeah, so they're up here. That's one of the things that happens, but that generally they have to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so the diaphragms just can't come down as well. Right. And so that means they can't interact well with the TA and the pelvic floor because that's what happens. Like, that, you know, I call it that pistoning action, the diaphragm comes down, the pelvic floor goes down. When the diaphragm comes down, the tummy comes out. But when you're pregnant, that sort of gets, that balance of interaction kind of gets wonky. 
And so like, I call it belt, like where, and, and it comes down to rib cage position. Like again, the form that you're using will determine how you're using your muscles. That's availability like that. We have not yet disproved with evidence, <laughs> with new evidence that's rocking our world. Like right. we know that it, the bicep works best in the mid range. We know muscles work best in mid range. And so that's really all I'm applying alignment to in these circumstances. But so what we didn't get trained to look at rib cages, that's not part of most educational programs. And so when you, when the bell is, I'm sorry, when your rib cage is up, like this, yeah, I call it bell rung up. And then when it's back, it's like bell rung down. And so okay. if everybody just breathes while we're sitting here and you do it with your bell rung up, you're going to tend toward upper chest mm -hmm. and then, which is a fight or flight breath, which is, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then when your bell runs down, you tend toward belly. Yeah. Belly. And so what we want is a balance between those two things. And so what I try to encourage is a quiet bell. So we want that bell to live over top of the pelvis again. And when you do that, you end up with more of a 360 degree type breath where you're going to get lateral movement and not just AP. So, and just automatically by putting you in that different position, you give the diaphragm a new opportunity to move in a different way. And it didn't come because I said, stand like this. It came because I said, now let's breathe like this. And so my cueing isn't about maintaining this perfect position. It's finding a really good breath. Because when you can do that breath, it takes you out of that fight or flight, which automatically interacts with your pain, mm -hmm. automatically. Um, and then I actually change your relationship of the diaphragm with the pelvic floor. I change the way it's gonna interact with the abdomen. And all of that, those components work together for our stability at the center and they regulate pressure. Like, so diaphragm is actually one of my major places where I start every buddy out because um, I can interact with all the systems that they're presenting with low back pain uh, anxiety anxious like my pain anything emotional I can affect everything by affecting breathing and it has a huge role to play in pelvic health stuff so um, so yeah so those are like just some clues that I start to weigh in with but if you well anyway Sorry, I could go on and on with details, but but that's that's a good start. That's a good start. So yeah, um, but yeah, I breathing is the gateway. Like to me, breathing is your gateway into all of these systems, and you can interact with people in that way in such a positive way, and it hits all of these marks. Like it's it's so and it's so accessible to everyone. So again, I and so I ask people, they're like, how am I going to remember this when I'm not with you? And I say. Find that breath again. Find where you feel at ease around that breath. That's what we're looking for. And then we get nice carryover because the brain loves to breathe well. Because again, I'm talking about strategies. This is strategies and it's brain strategies and brain work. The brain loves to breathe well. It will do whatever it takes to get you breathing well. And that we can use that. So, and I do. That's what I like to do. So, And how do you then incorporate that breath into sports and performance? So, because that's something that a lot of people are is like, when do I breathe? How do I yeah. breathe for this? What do I do? Do I breathe when I lift? Do I breathe when it goes here? Do I? So yes. how do you address that? Well, my my um, my favorite line is it depends. And um, because it does, unfortunately. And that's actually the name of my clinical reasoning class. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, and, and, and the idea is, is it, it, and part of what it depends on for me is what's going on with them in terms of pelvic health. So, for example, if I'm seeing you for diastasis um, or, well, let's just stick with incontinence. Just, and, I mean, I can explain diastasis too. But so what we want is for when you're exerting yourself to have some extra control over your pelvic floor in that moment. So what I teach is um, blow before you go. So the idea there, if we understand that on inhale, the pelvic floor goes down, on exhale, when the diaphragm lifts, what's happening is it's relieving intra-abdominal pressure and the pelvic floor recoils automatically when that pressure is relieved. So we have this pressure and muscular force interchange. So that automatic recoil of the pelvic floor up is supportive to your continence mechanism. And so what I ask people to do is start their exhale before their movements, before their before the exertion component. And then that 
And in many cases, we have to actually teach people to connect and lift it, have some voluntary control over it at the beginning. Um, and uh, and so that then when you blow before you go, you're automatically setting yourself up to be under more control of your continence mechanism before you lift the load. So when I'm first starting out with somebody, and diastasis is the same way. When you exhale, the dive, the tummy comes back in. And mm -hmm. so then you're closing the gap, and then you're also pre-activating the fascia. And so then when you are pre-activating the fascia, encouraging more proximation of the abs, which gives you more mechanical advantage, then challenge it. And so then you're reinforcing the fascia being tensed and the diastasis being closed. And so you're doing all of that to prepare and challenge um, when things are in their optimum position. But then over time, my job isn't just to prepare you for when life happens on exhale. I have to prepare you for inhalation. And so then we start talking about inhaling on the eccentric part of a load and exhaling on the concentric. And so that's a way to start to develop the ability to basically train the pelvic floor for any position it's in. It has to be prepared for some kind of challenge to come on inhale, because guess what? When you pick up the kid, I would say you blow before you go, get it up. Now you have to walk across the room. So I want you to work on that same breath we've been working on that interacts between these components. And that way I'm actually training the inhalation and exhalation component of that cycle with the weight of your baby. And that, so there's lots of different strategies to apply. And then eventually I'm gonna have to teach you how to hold your breath for a max lift. So, so there's lots of different, and it would depend on your needs at the time. It would depend on what works best for you. Like some people, it's too much to think about and we gotta just stick with one or the other. Um, but in most cases, it's a progression of breath strategies for me. So hopefully that's a lot, but that's hopefully at least gives you an idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. Okay. And so, you know, it sounds like everything comes down to having, like you said in the beginning, having all those muscles around the trunk working together in order. Hi, Dave. <laughs> in order to set you set your body up for the optimal stability in order to lift, to run, to exert, for yes. any kind of exertion, right? Absolutely, yes. And how that's, yes, because that's how we developed. Like, this is really primal. Like, we start at the center, okay? All of our movements start at the center. We know diaphragm, TA, pelvic floor actually turn on, even though it's a nanosecond, they do turn on before the rest of the postural control musculature in order to set an anchor. That's like the way that I describe it to myself, just to keep it simple. But the, what I'm trying to encourage, when we talk about that interaction between the muscles, it's a dynamic stability. It's a responsive stability because the, the deep muscles, they turn on no matter what direction you're moving, but the rest of the postural muscles turn on in a variety of ways, depending on what the challenge is. So we have the capacity to have an anchor at the center, but also have responsiveness to whatever the activity is. But if all we do is pull our navel to our spine and stiffen our abdomen, the same way for every activity, that makes no sense functionally. Not, not. Like, it, it doesn't make sense, but that's what we've taught for years. Our stability patterns or stability programs have been around stiffening. And what I'm suggesting is let's teach responsiveness of this system teach it to go through its excursions, then your pelvic floor is ready for here, 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 here wherever the challenge comes. Yeah. And so so it's, it's really, what I'm trying to help us also move away from is that stiffening idea and any single muscle strategy, like pelvic floor only, TA only, diaphragm only, like those aren't glutes only. Like I recently talked to somebody about external oblique, for this big external oblique strategy. Like it has to be a team, like it's all working together and it needs to move in a responsive way. So, so yes, amen to what you just said. And Great. you actually beat me to the punch because I was just going to say, so we don't have to go like, huh, okay, I'm ready to lift and now I can't move. You know, I always tell people like, they're like, okay, so do I pull in and then just hold? I'm like, the whole point of your, your trunk being able to coordinate everything is so your back and your body can move through various positions with ease Absolutely. and ability. That's the point of this whole sort of trunk musculature from your abdominals, your pelvic floor, your TA, your, your um, diaphragm, so that you can actually move with ease 
through different positions with weight, without weight, and be able to react appropriately. If all we ever told people was pull in your stomach and go, huh, and get ready for your lift, like, where are you going? Yeah, and, and sadly, that's what we've told people for years. And that is, unfortunately, the strategy that most people are using under the bar and under, and, and I tend, what I talk about a lot, of course, I don't have one with me. I've been everywhere in my house, but right where I need one is a balloon. Mm-hmm. Like using a balloon analogy, if, if all you ever do is squeeze your balloon at the middle, like what is that going to do? It's going to change your breath pattern on top and it's going to change what's happening with the pelvic floor on the bottom. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's overwhelmed and it's weak. It can actually fight. Like that's what it's supposed to do. It fights the pressure and the muscular force from above. And that's where we get that over recruitment problem. You're going to leak here too, because it, it has nowhere to go when the challenge comes. Like you said, like there's no, it can't respond. And that's what we want. We need responsiveness from this system and all of our systems in order to you know, manage life. Yeah. And also like you want your back to move. Right. You don't want to be so stiff that you can't accept forces and, and those like tiny little ones. Like I always tell people, like if you were to move your, like go like this and kind of move your wrist, it's easy and it flows. Make a really, really hard fist and now try and move. And yeah. you, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. No. And, and that's a big piece of what I teach my runners. Like a lot of them come to me and they've been told by lots of people like you should, or they just assume because all we've ever taught people is kangles. Like that's, you know, there is an appropriateness to that. And it's it's really good for one rep max type challenges. But when you're talking about running, if you try to cable while you're running, that's your impossible. It's impossible, one. And then you have people who are like, my back is killing me because it's ripping all the time. And my hips hurt when I'm running. I'm stiff when I run. But you can't let your, you cannot extend your leg behind you to propel if you're gripping your pelvic floor. Like it's, the pelvic floor has interconnections out to the hip hip musculature like we have to get that like this is anatomy 101 and we've missed it in our PT education and um and so so we need to allow the pelvic floor to go through excursion to to um absorb impact we get that for the knee we would never land our running with our legs straight like we would never do that like to run like a toy soldier like that would never happen it would never happen we would never do that but that's what we're telling women they should hold a cable while they're running and that's literally a like hard surface hitting a hard surface, you're gonna leave. So we need to teach them excursion. So that's why I link, I always start with the diaphragm, that relationship to help link that ability to start to control that excursion and then control impact and forces from above. So, so yeah, agreed, amen. And so as we start to kind of wrap things up here, what do you, how, how does this conversation need to change? How do we as practitioners, healthcare practitioners, trainers, I don't know, anyone sort of dealing with people with, let's say, pelvic floor dysfunction, low back pain, hip pain, what have you, that are athletes. And when, like we defined in the beginning, everybody can be an athlete. You know, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what you do, anybody can be an athlete. So as physical therapists, where, or or healthcare, healthcare fitness professionals, what what needs to change in the conversation and what kind of words can we use? Because words are important when it yeah. comes to talking to the general public about this. You know, I, I think that um, there's, there's a lot of, of ways that we can approach this. But I think um, uh, I think some of the most important things is just to is to begin the conversation. So there's a lot of ways that we can do that. And and one of them is to have it in our intake forms and um, and. Just start talking about it. Like if you're a coach and you have a group fitness class, you're the boss. Like you get to do whatever you want. Start with a little education. Spend 15 minutes of the first group session. Hey, listen, this is something that's really important to our to us as females. If you're having any problems like this, please let me know. And so just to even open the door is the beginning. But part of what we really need to do as practitioners is get really comfy that this isn't poopy. It's only for the pelvic health, the 3,500 pelvic health practitioners to take care of the 4 million women out there. Like it, that we have to change our own mindsets that this is a part of our population's needs. An orthopedic patient needs you to talk to them about this. A sports medicine patient needs you to be able to talk to them about this. So you need to get educated as a practitioner. 
Like you need to decide, okay, I'm gonna suck it up. I'm gonna find out a little bit more about this stupid pelvic floor and how I can apply it into my patient population because it really doesn't have to be kind of that one hour lecture that you and I both got at PT, PT school where, you know, it's all about stuff that makes us all go like, that's not what it's about. It's a muscle, it can be trained and we can apply every sports medicine concept we use in the rest of the body to the pelvic floor, like that's it. So we, I think it really starts with practitioners educating themselves and then they need to get out and start educating in their local communities that this is something that we can actually treat because the conversations are coming more easily now than when I started this. Like, I don't mean just with practitioners, but I mean with women. And I think the internet has helped with that. It's because like, that's part of why we're starting to realize how common it is amongst our peers because people are starting to talk about it in their running groups. Um, go to the running groups, talk to the running groups, talk to the CrossFit boxes, like go out and start to try to educate. It's happening. It's start, the tide is starting to turn. Um, yeah, and I think you do a really good job with that. Just in, in uh, at the end of last year, a recent Twitter conversation with um, CrossFit headquarters. I mean, you started the conversation. It's open. Yeah. You know? and, and I think that probably changed some minds of people thinking, hey, this isn't something we should be clapping for and high-fiving people for when they're incontinent, when they do a personal best lift. Right. Yeah, I hope that's a good way to kind of open the door, like you said, and start that conversation. Yeah, and I think I'd like, I just really hope that people can keep it positive. Like, we've all evolved in our thinking, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, we, and it's an opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I hope that people were at least able to go, oh, huh. Because I think what the messaging is around that, that high five -y kind of stuff, um, also is around that, you, oh, well, you you might get better with your incontinence, but you're still going to leak for a PR. Well, I'm telling you, that's not true. Like, I, and, and I guess my, my message is, if I could help you PR and stay dry, wouldn't you want that? Like, I, that's where I, you know, like, and, and if I could actually help you run faster, because I'm going to make your running form more efficient, and by the way, I can also let you run without leaking, wouldn't you want that? Like, I mean, I think that that's where, because I think the message they've received is it's normal. And so, you know, then there's no solutions. But when we say, wow, we could actually do this and keep you dry, like that's what we're offering. And so, so I do hope that it was an opportunity to change. I'm just glad they came to the table and we're, we're willing to talk about it. Like that hopefully it's, it's, we can start to have more conversations like that. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, and there was something that was on uh, one of your blog posts about this. I don't know if it was the most recent one or the second one. And, you know, what you had said, I'm just going to read this from the blog post. If people haven't read it, you can go to Julie's um, website. We'll put the link underneath this. But okay. um, so we're all working in different ways to bring a, a, about a truly global mission, and that is to keep men and women enjoying, participating in, and benefiting from fitness over their lifetime without the limitation of injury or pelvic health considerations. And it seems like a goal we can all get behind and all agree on. So it doesn't matter if you're the participant, the coach, the trainer, the PT, the doctor, if we all work together with that common goal or common mission in mind, who's gonna say no? I know, amen, amen, I agree. I mean, I know I wrote it, but I, I wrote it. I didn't write it, I just read it. <laughs> I know, but I think, I mean, it's really, like, it's doable. Like, I think that's maybe what we need to hear. Like, we could really do this, and but we just need everybody working, like, around that and, and making it a priority. And, and really, that's what we're trying to do, ladies, inside these communities that are, you know, championing or saying, like, oh, well, you know, just here's the pad I use or whatever, like, we need to understand that we're trying to preserve your capacity to be fit over your lifetime. Like that's what we're trying to do. Like we're not just talking about this pregnancy time or just when that early postpartum period, like we'd like you to stay fit over your lifetime for the ability for you to have great cardiovascular health, great bone health, great emotional health. Like there's so many benefits to fitness. We don't want to take that out of your life. And that is a message to some of the PTs out there. Like, we need to have solutions for this, not just say stop. Mm -hmm. But we want people to remain fit. Like, that's the thing. Like, we love it. We want that. So let's help people. Yeah. Yeah. We have to come with, like, a catchy hashtag or something, you know. Help, to me, Karen. help me figure that out. 
Oh gosh, I'll think about it. Hashtag, on Facebook. I have it like hash, hashtag me too instead of me too. Oh, it could be hashtag P P E E too instead of me too. Uh, like no P too. Like, how do we say? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. But we'll something that you know can get people kind of saying, you know, this does happen to me too. Yeah. Yes, it's the new Me Too campaign, but it's a new Me Too, but new, but like, how do we like how do we make it like a solution around? Yeah, that? that's what we have to figure out. Yeah. Me Too, no more. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up. Somebody, somebody listening will come up with something. Yeah. Help us, help us, people. Exactly. Now, before we end, I'm gonna just ask you one final question that I ask everyone, and I probably should have prepped you ahead of time, but. Um, it's what advice, knowing where you are now in career and life, and what advice would you give to yourself as a new graduate? Fresh-faced, doe-eyed, yes, newly minted PT. Um, I think that the the uh, the biggest, and I've said this before um, in other ways, but I think that um, it is to like say really. Uh, strong with your convictions like don't compromise on anything like don't say you know something when you don't don't like anyway but that's a piece of it but then to know that when we are in, and we as a profession are in the midst of a lot of change like we really are this is a very gray area time for us is that change is really more of an evolution than it is a revolution like it takes time and we all like you got to just roll with those punches a little bit. Like you got to be open to new information. You got to know that change takes time, and you got to stick to your guns on what you won't compromise. Like those, I don't know. That may not be the best best information or idea, but I just I just feel like I keep thinking, oh, this is it. Like this is the moment where finally everyone's going to say pelvic health is important, you know, because I finally made it on Karen Lutzi's podcast. Oh. But but it's true. But you know, I know that it's going to take time to turn this Titanic, you know what I mean? But I know that now out of years and years, of, I mean, I've been at this for a really long time. I've been talking about these concepts for at least 15 years now. I mean, I've been out longer, but it was my own kid coming out of my body that helped me start to think about this stuff. Um, and so anyway, yeah, so I just know that it takes time and that we need to give grace to everyone around us as we do that. So, um, yeah, I see a friend there too. Hi. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, you know, where can people find more? I know you mentioned your your website, but if you want to kind of mention your website again and anything else you have going on, so if people want to learn more about you and from you, where yeah. can they go? Um, I, well, I have a blog, so there's a lot, and I have videos there. Um, I have done a lot of podcasts, so they're all up there as well. Um, so a lot of free content. Um, I do teach live courses, I'll be at CSM. Um, and, uh, but I am teaching, uh, throughout the year, my 2018 calendar is up. Um, and, uh, and then I also have online courses. So, um, and they all have CEUs now, which is a really big deal. Um, and so, uh, so if you're interested, if this has piqued your interest, there is information available to you to start to put this together. I do have a female athlete course. More is coming. I'm actually hoping to release some new information this year. Um, in, in, in terms of content online and make it accessible and um, and then also get CEUs for that as well. But um, anyway, so there's a lot of information on my website. You can peruse it. You can follow me on, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, always chatting there, dropping some information here and there. So, um, cool. so yeah, and send me questions. I'm happy to try to help and direct you. Great, and we'll have, we'll put everything, like once this is over, we'll put everything up underneath this, um, broadcast perfect but, and it's julieweedpt.com that's correct sorry i didn't even say that <laughs> okay that's what i'm here for um everything is there it's, it really is a great website great resources so i highly suggest that you all check it out and thank you so much for coming on for wealthy and smart live on yes. facebook and thanks for everyone for joining us and for the comments and um, this will be up on this page for a little bit. We'll put it up on the podcast and, um, we'll also have it up on YouTube. So it'll be all over the place. Yay, um, so thank you so much. And everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great, uh, week, I guess. And hopefully we'll see some of you at CSM. Yes, that'd be great. Yeah. 
and uh, stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Well, a huge thanks to Julie Weeb for being the first person to go on our Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart live on our Facebook page. And of course, a big thanks to NetHealth for sponsoring this episode. So if you want to hear more about Redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution, plus opt into completely outsourced billing services. That's the best way to optimize revenue. So just imagine PT billing, coding, and compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. To learn more, go to nethealth.com slash healthy. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.